Father in heaven, we're thankful for that scripture reading. It reminds each one of us who we are to be in Jesus Christ. And it mentioned that we are to understand the mystery of the faith, singular. We know that mystery is Jesus Christ. We pray that you will guide us to see him through this story here today. In his name we pray. Amen. The focus this morning is on how Christ can work through all of us, each one of us, in some way or another, can be his servants. I want you to imagine that you're there, not necessarily serving the soup, but you are there receiving some kind of nourishment from a Christian ministry. And there you are, you've received some food from this Christian ministry, you've gone out and you've laid out your sleeping bag, you've crawled in for the night, and as you've crawled in for the night, you realize it's going to be a cold one. You look up and you see the stars, it's, it's a clear evening, there's not a cloud in the sky, and you begin to shiver as you even think about the fact that you're going to shiver through the whole night. You lay your head down, not on a pillow, just on your hands. You curl up inside of that, you've got your coat and all your clothing on. And you begin to shiver just soon after that. Temperature drops more and more as the night progresses. And you just wish as you look up at the stars that wouldn't it be nice to have a good night's sleep and be warm? Well, you begin to hear footsteps in the distance. And as can happen, you begin to reach for a little weapon that you do have, a pocket knife, thinking that maybe someone's going to come and steal something of mine in the night. But the steps get closer and closer, and you begin to hear a voice from this person. And you recognize it's actually one of those people that was serving the soup that day. And she's got something that she's in her arms, she's holding. It's a huge quilt. And you look up, and she begins to unroll that quilt over you. She says, roll over. So you kind of roll over a little bit. She tucks it underneath you there, wraps you around in it. She says, I'll be back. And she comes back, and she brings another quilt, and she rolls it over you. You begin from the first quilt to warm up inside. But as she comes back with the second one, you begin to just be overwhelmed. This person loves me. Now, if we can just imagine something like that happening, and it does happen from time to time, we hear stories of it, we can begin to unpack really the heart of the story we're going to look at here this morning. And if you can't see yourself being that kind of person, and by the time we're done here this morning, we're going to see how someone could have that heart. And if for some reason you don't feel like you could serve in some way that would be of importance like that, at the end you'll see that if you have Jesus, you can serve with love. Not necessarily like that, but in some way. The story I'm referring to is not the story of someone coming from our Dorcas and putting a quilt over somebody. But it's talking about how years ago in the book of Acts, the church was exploding with growth. As a result, you had different people from different backgrounds joining the church, and as they have experienced a reprieve from persecution from Saul, because Saul was converted, and the church is growing. We have lots of needs that come with it. A lot of physical needs, as well as spiritual needs. And one of those groups is the widows and the orphans. 
And the church doesn't just sit by and watch as these people struggle, not just with their faith, because some of them have been ostracized for their faith, but as they struggle physically, the church is right there to minister to their needs. Miracles have taken place through Peter in the towns of Lydda and Sharon. Sharon. They've accepted Jesus Christ. Many people in both of those towns have accepted Jesus. And it says, In Joppa was a certain disciple named Tabitha which was translated and called Dorcas. She was full of good works and kind deeds, which she did. Interesting way of putting it, Tabitha, which is translated or called Dorcas. We get the word Dorcas from it. I know some of you are very familiar with that name. And as we think of that, though, look what her two identifying marks are. Full of good works. Ergonomics. She's, She's got... She's physically doing things for people, but not just for any people. The ones who are the downcasts. Kind deeds. It's deeds towards those who would beg and really, for some reason, needed something. Deeds towards the poor, their alms. People who are asking for alms. I looked at her name I thought, that's an interesting name. I haven't seen that name very often. But when I do, it's, uh, it's usually an interesting person who bears that name. This name it means in the Greek, a gazelle. And so we put that into the picture and we find <laughs> something like this, right? I mean, you've seen gazelle, pictures of gazelles. You can pull them up off the internet. This one's right off the internet. This is, some, this is a, a resourceful creature that's there in the ancient Near East or the Middle East. And this creature s- sustains itself through its resourcefulness. You find some accounts say that it doesn't, it hardly ever drinks water because it gets all of its nourishment and all of its moisture from the plants that it eats. Uh, that's a pretty big feat in a Mediterranean climate, semi-arid climate. It goes around nourishing itself. It's known as a graceful, resourceful animal that can survive in situations that none of us really would find ourselves surviving in. It's beautiful in its form, it, and when the people try to go after it and to, to, to either capture it or to kill it for food, it's known for its swiftness. It can just escape predators as well. And so it has a timidity to it. And yet, countless people, at least I read the articles this week of several of them, they described when they looked at this creature, it had a splendor and yet a meekness about it, especially as they looked at its eyes. We'll go back and look at its eyes. I mean, just these almost solidly black eyes. And so they used this word in the ancient Near East to describe this creature, a gazelle, but when it's using it to, they're using it to describe a human being, it's an endearment of kindness. Her name is Tabitha. Or instead of saying honey, they will call her Tabitha. That's endearment of love. I was doing some research on it again this week, and as I looked at it, it was a favorite name among women in the ancient Near East because it meant that they were valued, just like the gazelle. So here's a woman from Joppa. Her name means gazelle. Now you get the sermon title, Gazelle of Joppa. This is a woman who sees herself as valued by God, but also sees a value in everybody else around her. And so I think in a way she fits this name aptly. It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 37, And it happened in those days, becoming sick, this woman of faith, this woman of good deeds, this woman who reached out and told people that, yes, you are valued, even if you are poor. She dies. They go through the washing process of her body, lay her in an upper room in preparation for burial. 
And because Lydda was near Joppa, hearing that Peter is in it, the city, the disciples sent two men to him, begging him, do not delay to come to them. So this is interesting. It's not just that she's made a difference in people outside of the community of faith, within the community of faith, within the church, that she's known as a disciple of Jesus who loves people within the church as well. I've seen some people who are really good at ministering outside of the church, but when they get into the church, it's a little different thing. There's fighting and all of that. She's the combination of both. She's made a difference to those within the church that she's ministered with, as well as those outside of the church. And so they're sending for Peter. They're hoping that Peter will not delay, that she will somehow recover, and they send for him. Must have made a huge difference to people's lives. But how did she do it? Well, I was reading this interesting little book called Acts of the Apostles. You can go into all the language and the commentators and all of that. You can find what she did. That's fine. But as I read this, it brought out a couple of different points. It says that Joppa, which was near Lydda, there lived a woman named Dorcas, whose good deeds had made her greatly beloved. Whatever deeds she did, the result was people felt loved and they loved her for them. She was a worthy disciple of Jesus and her life was filled with acts of kindness. What were those? She knew who needed comfortable clothing and who needed sympathy. It's more than just, here, here's some clothing for you. It's more than that. It's she saw them as human beings. Having sympathy for somebody means you take time to hear them and to know them and to see where they're coming from. I think if we saw more of that, maybe some of these ministries and stuff might be a little more effective. I know I've heard of people say, well, they give me food to eat, and that's all I feel like they give me. Well, at least they give you that. But they're looking for something more. They're looking for some kind of sympathy, some kind of acknowledgement that you know what I'm going through and that I'm valued. And really, that will go a lot longer than the food that's put in their stomachs. And so she knew that they needed clothing, but they also needed sympathy. And she freely ministered to the poor and the sorrowful. So that's specific, isn't it? They're poor, but they're also sad for some reason. And she sees it, and she acknowledges it, and she ministers to it. Her skillful fingers were more active than her tongue. <laughs> that's interesting. You know, every once in a while you'll find me lacing a little lesson about this. So what we find is she was more focused on helping these people than talking about these people. She was more focused on being a critical thinker and saying, how can I help this person and show them God's love than being a critical person? There's a big difference. You know, I'm a critical thinker a lot of times and I think of things and how they could be done better and all of that, but if that's all you ever do, if you're just critical of people, do they really see the love of God through that? Uh, they, they've done studies on this, how children in orphanages the ones who don't have a loving touch or a loving word and what it does to them psychologically. And the, for years, they documented the death rate of the children who receive no loving words and no loving touches. What happens if the child receives words, but they're all critical all the time? Can you really expect a flowering, beautiful person to emerge? when toxic waste is being dumped on them all the time. Can you really expect in a church, and I'm not saying it's happening here, I'm just throwing it in there in case it needs to be preventative in our minds. 
Can we really expect people to blossom and grow here if we are dumping on them a toxic chemical or environment? We can't. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth except that which is good. Minister grace to the hearer. Kindness to the hearer. So I'm going to go on record as saying, if, if you come up and you're talking about your fellow brother and sister to me, I'm going to say, have you talked to them? Have you talked to them? Because if you haven't talked to them and you're coming to the pastor, you're saying you want it to become public. You want it to be going to the board. And for that to go that far, you will have to take several steps. First, you talk to them one-on-one. You try to work it out prayerfully. If it doesn't work, you can involve the elders or some other Christians in the church that can listen between you. The elders are more than happy to do it. They've told me that you know, if you guys have a case that you really want to have the elders sit in on, they will do that for you. They will sit there between you. Pray for you. Encourage you to work it out. And then if that doesn't happen, then it gets to my desk. Yeah. What would happen if we were more active with our hands and fingers and we just eliminated spiritually the tongue? Really, the words that come out of our mouths are a symptom of what's going on inside the heart. And so it's deeper than just not talking. It's deeper than that. She had something deep down in her heart that caused to flow out acts of kindness and words of love. And that's what I really want when I read this text. So how do we begin to serve like her? We've been focusing on this since January. Focusing on and looking at Jesus. Seeing the character of God. Do you see any expression of the character of God that's as clearly portrayed as through the life of Jesus. I mean, the Ten Commandments, you could sit there and, to me, they look timeless, right? But as you go down and you see how Jesus lived them out, there is no question, there is no doubt that that is exactly perfect from God's hand. You go down and you see how Jesus interacted with people throughout Israelite history and how he did miracles and loved people. And I can tell you right now, if he says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I like what I'm seeing. And so this text points us in the book of Acts to the need to behold the character of God. To look to Jesus. And as we look to Him, the more humble the person becomes, the lower his estimation is of himself. This is indeed the evidence that he beholds God. That he is in union with Jesus Christ. The the kinder we become, it's more than likely because we beheld the kindness of the One who came for us. Unless we are meek and lowly, we cannot in truth claim that we have any conception of the character of God. You can talk behavior all you want, but if, you, if it's not showing through regular, just spontaneous acts of kindness, then what are you showing? What am I showing? In every place and under every circumstance, they, the meek, will pray to God that they may be allowed to see Him, that they will cherish that meek and contrite spirit that trembles at the Word of God. And so this woman was someone who obviously is beholding and maybe even refreshing herself on the teachings of Jesus and the Word of God. And and there she is as she beholds that. She's changed. And as she's changed, she becomes active, not with her mouth and her lips, but with her hands to those around her. This gave evidence that she was God's child. And you know what she gave? She gave life. Not discouragement, but encouragement. 
Acts 9.39, And rising up, Peter went with them. When he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. You want a V-line for the cross? This is right here in this text. Look at this. She is ministering to who? The widows. The ones who feel alone in the world. The ones who feel like nobody cares. That in some respects in the Israelite culture were neglected. They were willing to even receive the offerings that would be given to the widows for the sake of their ministry. I remember years ago, somebody told me, yeah, um, I'm taking care of my mother, and I'd like to take a portion of her income every month and give it to 3ABN. I said, no, you don't do that. You take care of her needs first. Because if you haven't taken care of her needs, and you're taking her money and throwing it over to here, with, not even with, and she's not in her right mind, without her permission, really, and she ends up suffering, that's elder abuse. Imagine an Israelite culture where they're willing to commit elder abuse, where you don't have to love your mother and father, but yet you can give it all to the temple. It's the same type of thing, isn't it? So you've got widows here that, for whatever reason, are not being taken care of by their family. And it could even be that because they became Christians, now their family doesn't want anything to do. We don't know from the text, but these people are genuinely in need. And it says that there were two things that she gave to them. Coats and garments. Imagine that. You know, we are in a Mediterranean somewhat climate here. Does it get cold at night here? Would you like to lay out on the ground out there without any type of cushion between you and the ground or any type of blanket over you? Can you imagine someone being so poor and their family not willing to step in and help them, that that's exactly what they have to do. And in the middle of the night, here comes somebody who not only just feeds them, but comes over there and drapes a cloak over their shoulders as they're huddled there, shaking and shivering. I've seen people shake and shiver here in Anderson. It's disturbing to me. Humanly speaking, she didn't just stand by and just let it happen. She did something about it. Coats and garments. What would happen if somebody went a whole night without a cloak, according to Jesus? You're to take a cloak from somebody as, as somehow usury or, or interest or, or a payment or a guarantee? Then what were you supposed to do? Before nightfall, what were you supposed to do? Give it back to them. What's going to happen if you don't? They're going to get cold. They're going to shiver. Eventually, you know what could happen to them? They could get sick and die. And so what is she giving people? Isn't she giving him life? <laughs> and this got even more pronounced as I looked up those words, coats and garments. The undergarment is this under the shirt type thing that typically is woven in one piece. But the coat is the cloak that you would wrap around and be an outer garment to keep you really warm. She's providing that to these people. It's the same word that was used for referring to the garment that people touched that was Jesus' garment, they would grab the hem of his robe, right? It's this idea of a cloak. And as a result, some of them were healed, literally healed from that cloak. Not the cloak itself, but the person who wore the cloak. They've had faith. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, and that word is cloak. It's the same word that's used when Jesus says that if you take something from somebody as a as a guarantee, you better give that cloak back before nightfall. It's the same word that's used to describe the purple robe that they wrap around Jesus in mockery. And it's the same word 
that's, uh, that is referred to when it says we are clothed with garments of righteousness in Revelation. Fitting then that she is weaving something that can point people to Jesus. Not just because it gives them life, but it points them to the very life of Jesus. Philippians 2 is our FBI scripture for this morning. And some of you are familiar with this. In fact, somebody told me at the door last week about this text. I was thinking to myself, yeah, it's coming next week, but here it is, Philippians 2. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Here's that oneness idea again. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the result of really being one in Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, verse 5, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he's willing to let that go in order to save you and me. He's willing to just take off his garments of divinity and put on our humanity for us to be saved. It keeps going on. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So who does Dorcas point us to? Jesus. If she's willing to work with her fingers to the point where she even herself succumbs to sickness, putting, you can imagine, putting other people first. She's reflecting Jesus. And her reflection of Jesus gets even more pronounced as we go on in this text because we know Jesus laid aside His needs, His desires, His divinity, becomes one of us in human flesh to save us. I think you could find a parallel to this Dorcas, this gazelle of Joppa. How she laid aside her needs to save these people who needed it. And not only that, in John 9, verse 23, it says the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his shirt. She, she used, that same word is used in Acts. She made shirts and made four parts to every soldier apart. And also his coat, that's the cloak. And now the coat was without seam, woven from top throughout. And so they take his undergarment, his shirt, his outer garment, his cloak, and they throw on him this purple scarlet cloak to mock him. It's interesting that I just think it's interesting that we find those same exact words, shirt and cloak, when it talks about Dorcas and what she did. She literally pointed them to Jesus. She gave life just like Jesus gave life so we could live forever. And so I want to be like Dorcas, having sympathy means i got to look around and see what people are going through. Meeting those needs as they become presented to me. And then giving them life-giving solutions, not just some quick solution. Doesn't it take a while to make a cloak and an undergarment by hand? We, we as Americans have plenty of servants in the world that we hire to do it for such a cheap price. But imagine doing it all yourself by hand. 
mean, it takes some time. And there she is, each stitch, getting that garment closer and closer to how it's going to give that person not only physical life, but she's hoping it'll point them to Jesus. And so I believe this story points us to Christ. How Christ comes to us, we see Him, we see what He's gone through, but also then it points us forward. How Christ can work through us from now all the way until the time of His coming. Verse nine, chapter 9, verse 40 of Acts says, and he put them all out, Peter did. And if the parallel to Christ really didn't come through to you until now, here it is. There's a resurrection too. So you find acts of kindness, meeting needs, all of that. She had Christ's method. She was using it. And then she dies ministering, really, giving life. And then she's resurrected. Peter comes in there, kneels down, he prays. I can't imagine being there. Do you have the boldness to pray for someone to be resurrected? Only if God really directed you should you pray for that. I mean, if put it on his heart to do this, he comes in there, Tabitha, arise. And she opens up her eyes. When she sees Peter, she sits up. We're not told what she did. I imagine she went right back to the needle. She, he gives her his hand, lifts her up, and he calls her in, calls in all the saints and the widows. And imagine the joy. There they were presenting their garments, and they probably still have them in their hands, and now they're coming in, and she's alive. Can you put yourself in the story? Can you be the one that she put the quilt or the, the cloak over? in the middle of the night, shivering. And now all of a sudden, the one that you were so sorrowful for, she's alive again. It's just a mini picture of Jesus, isn't it? You got known throughout all of Joppa, <laughs> and many believed in the Lord. It wasn't even about her. And it was many days that he remained in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. And so we find her story points us to the story. The story where one is clothed with a scarlet robe, which we deserved. One who dies the death that we deserve. The one, though, is resurrected. Her story points us to all of that. And really, deep down, our story can point people to all of that, too. I'm not Dorcas. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. But I can point people to Jesus by beholding Him and saying, Lord, use just simple old me to help somebody. Galatians 2.20, when I, after I read the text, I said, is it really me? Because I'm not Dorcas. I'm just a preacher who encourages people every once in a while. But Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that means what happened in her life can happen in my life. What happened in those church members' group can happen in our church here as well. Christ can be seen through us. Not just a fact that we know, but him actually working through us. And many people can believe in the Lord because of us. Christ can work through us and yes, minister to the ones who are oftentimes forgotten, the widows and the elderly like in her day, but it's even more than that. It's ministering to the poor and letting them know that they are of eternal value. They don't feel like they're worth much, but they are. The other day I drove through here and I saw someone that we would call a transient sitting out here and I said to myself, well, I guess I'll call dispatch. That's what, you know, we kind of talked about that after that fight that happened. And my wife was driving, and I had the phone. And she's like, are you going to call? And I said, no. 
It's a daughter of God reading the Bible out there. These people are valuable to God. Every single one of them. As much as I don't want the negative element, I would rather have them sitting out there than not. So Christ can come through us. And the reason why I believe that also is because it happened to me. I wasn't the person sitting on the bench, but I was a person who grew up and my mom didn't have very much money. And this little house here became a last-ditch stop for a bunch of used clothes and shoes and things that were probably third-hand delivered to that home. My grandfather would go all the way up to Eugene and Hood River and other places and he'd pick up these things that the, the discards from, from not only just the Adventist community services but then the, the second-hand store that got them after that and he would bring them home. And I can tell you right now, those shoes were not completely new when he gave them to me. They looked something like that. And I remember still wearing those shoes. Not because they were the latest fad, because they really they weren't. In fact, those were yesteryear when I was going through school. They wanted all the Nikes with the little air cushions in them. And I, I had these. But I can tell you right now, I went through a couple of little vials of little bottles of super glue, keeping those things glued together because it meant something to me. That there my grandfather was going up to this place, and every time he'd go up there, he'd come back. And I was ashamed to receive it. I really was. I didn't want to re- receive charity from somebody. But he said, you know, I thought of you when I got these. Doesn't that make a difference? There he's looking through all these shoes and here's this pair of old uh, all-star shoes there. I don't remember the brand name. You could probably name it off. And he hands them to me. And I can see they've been used, but I put them on. They're the perfect fit. And for over a year after that, I still remember the super glue coming out a couple of times to keep them glued together. Would you say that, in a way, my grandfather served like Dorcas, but more than likely served like Christ? And so when I talk about this, I want Christ not just to be presented to me, but I want Him to flow out through me as well. And I want to serve until He comes again. That's going to be beautiful. You know, every once in a while, we, we, I like to dedicate some servants of God to, to, and pray for them. And this is the first Sabbath of March. I was going to have a focus during the announcement time on some kind of service project or whatever. But there is a group of people in your church that oftentimes go un, unrecognized. I'm talking about your deacons and your elders. Do you, do you realize what goes on behind the scenes just to keep the building going uh, when the person gets discouraged at the hospital. Um, there's a lot of things that happen here at this church. My grandfather was one of the deacons of that little church there. There's somebody sitting back here who was a deacon there too. And I think about that group and I think about all the little things that they never ever get recognized for. And I'm not here to build people up or whatever. I'm just here to, to pray for these servants amongst us here today. And so this is something that periodically you'll see me do. I'm going to invite the deacon and deaconess team. That means if you're on that team, you're serving this year, I'm going to invite you to the front. Whether you are, you've been ordained as a deacon or deaconess or not, I'm going to invite you. If you're currently serving as a deacon here in this church, I want you to come to the front. Or a deaconess. That means you, Gloria. Come on, Gloria. 
Vivi, you're, I know you're a deaconess too. If you're currently serving as a deaconess this year, as a, I'm going to not just uh, tell everybody, hey, if you've got a physical plant problem, talk to Jake, but spiritual problem, talk to this person. But I want you to recognize these people have been going out with me last couple of quarters to see people in your flock. They're not just taking care of your building. They're, they're out there trying to encourage people to, to come back to church, to try God again. And also they're trying to encourage people who maybe are, are far away members who are shut in somewhere. And this is only a sample of our group because they're not all, I don't see them all here today. But what I want to do is dedicate them to the Lord. And I'm going to invite the elders forward now. And we're going to pray for our deacon and deaconess team. I've got a couple of elders here that are not occupied elsewhere. And what we're going to do is each elder is going to pray for you guys. We're thankful for you. In fact, what happens is you begin multiplying our team because when you join us and you help minister to the spiritual needs and the physical needs of people, it really helps us a lot to focus on the spiritual needs. And so we want to thank you for that. And we also want to pray for you. Mm-hmm. It's just not me. I mean, I'm, I'm the Dorcas, but I have a lot of people in our church that come yeah. and help. And I have three or four ladies that are not members of this church okay. that still come yeah. and uh, help out. Are they here today? Um, Marie's here. Dora. Uh, Joyce. You, Joyce. Can you get ladies stand too so that we can, we can pray for you as well? Some of them aren't here, but... I see your hand. <laughs> yeah, there you are. All right. There's lots All of... Right. All right. I invite the elders. Run without them. Uh, yeah. George is one. Bill Kennedy, are you here? All right. So we'll pray for our community services, but we're also going to pray for the deacon and deaconess team, uh, that God will anoint them and pull the Holy Spirit upon them, and, and together we can keep serving him. Go ahead. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> you have called all of us to do a work for you. Yet there are some who are chosen by the church for a special work our deacons and our deaconesses, our community services, often called Dorcas. We ask for your special blessing upon them, Father, that through their service, your name may be praised and honored and glorified, that through them, people may come to know Jesus Christ as a savior, as a comforter, as a Lord, as a protector, one who has called them to a higher calling, Father. Anoint them with thy spirit, Father. Strengthen them in these times and give them comfort that they may share that comfort with others. In Jesus' name. Eternal Father God, you have called us all to be servants of yours but others have particular tasks that you have assigned to them. At this time, we want to lift up before you the deaconesses, deacons, community service team. We know that you can work mightily through them. So Lord God, may your mercy be upon them, may your blessing guide and direct them, and may your work go forward here in this community because of their efforts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Father in heaven, thank you so much for this team. Thank you for their acts of kindness that don't, we don't even see half the time. Thank you for each member here who has acts of kindness, your love being shown through them that oftentimes goes unnoticed. Many of us would not be standing here if it wasn't for those acts of kindness. So thank you for that. Bless this team, Lord. I pray you continue to send your Holy Spirit upon them. I know that you already have. I'm praying especially for your outpouring of the Holy Spirit as we look forward to the future as a team working together to help with the physical needs of our members and those outside of the church and the spiritual needs as well. Bless each deacon and deaconess here represented in their family. I want to set them apart for you and your work, Lord. And I pray for us as a congregation that we will continue to encourage them, be thankful for them, and lift them up in prayer often, Lord. Thank you so much for your servant heart, and thank you for how it shows through each individual here that we're dedicating to you here today. And now, Lord, we're all going to give you our hearts and thanks as well. I give you my heart, my life. I dedicate our congregation to you as well. We want to give you our hearts today and be your servants. Bless and guide, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you. closing song is listed in your bulletin as number 623. Once again, it's a consecration song. This is saying that I'm going to follow you, Jesus Christ, whether I'm a deacon, deaconess, or serving in some other way. I'm going to follow you with all of my heart until I see you face to face. Number 623. If you'd like to sing it with all your voice and standing, feel free to stand. Number 623. I will follow thee. Wheresoe'er my lot may be, where thou goest, I will follow. Yes, my Lord, I'll follow thee. I will follow thee, my Savior. Thou didst shed thy blood for me. By thy grace, I'll follow thee. Though the road be rough and thorny, trackless as the foaming sea, thou hast trod this way before me, and I'll gladly follow thee. I will follow thee, my Savior. Thou didst shed thy blood for me. And though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace I'll follow thee. Though I meet with tribulations, Surely tempted though I be, I remember thou wast tempted, and rejoice.
to follow Thee. I will follow Thee, my Savior. Thou didst shed Thy blood for me. forsaken though I be. Thou wast destitute, afflicted, and I only follow Thee. I will follow Thee, my Savior. Thou didst shed Thy blood for me. forsake thee by thy grace I'll follow thee though to Jordan's rolling billows cold and deep thou leadest me thou hast crossed the waves before me and I still will follow thee. I will follow thee, my Savior. Thou didst shed thy blood for me. And though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace I'll follow thee. Father in heaven, we've only done our duty, Lord, to serve you. It should come natural to us if we're beholding you. We see your love, we see your grace. We pray that you'll guide us to keep focused on you. Guide us to not only have you come to us, but shine through us to those around us. Help us to be like the gazelle of Joppa, Dorcas, because she was just like you. We pray, Lord, that, uh, I know she wasn't perfect, but we pray, Lord, that you can guide us to see the needs of those around us, meet those needs, and then point them to Jesus Christ. Guide us to that end, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.